0: So, Mark, do we want to uh, tell people what this show is supposed to be about? Uh, yeah, I think the idea
1: is we're going to have guests on and we're going to have conversations, real conversations. And I think the gimmick is the MacGuffin, which we discussed as a title. The MacGuffin is is we're going to have the guests sort of introduce a, a piece of art or media that they want to talk about. And that's going to be our jumping off
0: point. Perfect. Yeah. And I think that would, uh, and you're, you're, so the first one is, uh, is you today.
1: Yeah. And you have no idea what I'm going to say, do you?
0: No, because if I did, then I would be telepathic, yeah. which would be cool. Which would be great. That would be like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, I don't, I have no idea. Uh, so uh, do you have any guesses? Um, okay. Cause so we had originally talked about this um being uh, about a book that mm-hmm. somebody would choose a book, but then we'd expanded it to anything. So had it been a book, I probably could have guessed because it would have only been like one out of what? Ten million. <laughs> 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 you know. <laughs> but now we've expanded it to any piece of art ever created. Yes. So it's like one in billions. So no, I don't think I'm going to, I am do not okay. think I'm gonna be able to guess. <laughs> I know. But so, I'll guess anyway.
1: Okay, all right, sure, cool.
0: Yeah. Uh I think you're going to talk about uh, the Mona Lisa. Oh, that's a good choice. I've seen the Mona Lisa. I have too. Briefly. Yeah, from a distance. Briefly. Behind like 80 people. Yeah, like there's a
1: lot of Japanese heads that I had to look past to see it. But yes, I did. It was cool. What you probably don't know is that I've written the start of a novel that that, uh, the protagonist is Da Vinci. But you haven't finished this novel. I haven't finished that one, no. I've got... This, it's part of a trilogy that I abandoned many years ago. And the first one, it, it takes place in the mythical past and then the present. And one of the characters is always somebody from the past or the mythical past. The first one, it's Sir Percival of the Grail. And then the second one was going to be Da Vinci because I'm fascinated by him.
0: And one of the reasons why I wanted to co-host a podcast with you is because like every time you open your mouth – it's like, there's like eight things, subjects that I want to pursue that you've just mentioned, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> like now, you've, now I want to talk about the Mona Lisa. I'm to talk about your book. I want to talk about the Holy Grail. I want to talk about a movie I just saw set in Ethurian times, but now I don't know which direction to pursue. Well, let's go back to the original question, which was what's the piece
1: of the objet d'art that I would like to present to you?
0: And okay, which is not podcast, the Mona Lisa. But
1: not the Mona Lisa. That was a really good little alleyway to explore, though. And we can come back to it. Absolutely. Because yeah. I, I think you're going to be surprised by what I want to talk about. I, I really do. Okay. <laughs> I really do. Because I think we've talked about okay. it before. And, you know, it's probably not my favorite thing now. But I want to talk about the movie Star Wars.
0: The I am surprised. I know you. Yes. I, I knew
1: I was going for surprise. I, you didn't vomit right away. Which yeah, was good.
0: No, well, <laughs> I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. Yeah. but I'm surprised that you would pick a movie, and and then I'm surprised that of all the movies you would pick Star Wars. But I, you know what? I I feel like it's an excellent first subject to discuss.
1: Yeah, because I wanted to get to like so when we first started talking about this, you said that you wanted to bring people in to just talk about something that moved them. And I was going through my head. Okay. So what really has moved me? And I've got lots of things that I could list. Um, and then I thought, nah, I, I really, I should take this back to like earlier in my life. And I think, hmm. you know, there's, there's two things that really kind of got me early. One was Edgar Rice Burroughs books. I think that's like the first thing that I started reading in a serious way, probably when I was about seven right. or eight and then Star Wars. Because I would have been – I think we're probably around the same age. I was 11 when Star Wars came out.
0: Yeah, I think I was roughly the – yeah, I'm 57 now, I think. Yeah, I'm, f- <laughs> as I'm as 56.
1: I so, like, it blew my, it blew my mind,
0: my yeah. little 11-year-old. Oh, mind. it was such a huge impact on all of us.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so – and I actually – I mean, I wrote – I wrote, I had – I at that point, I was still, like, doodling, and I had, like, a little cartoon strip I did of my dog blue who's a dalmatian and so i had a a, a strip of dalmatian that he flew through this through the galaxy in a spaceship and he had a he had a lightsaber and he was there oh that's the kind of stuff that that movie inspired in me to the point that i actually went to go see the thing i think 13 times in the theater Hmm. i was a good kid and i skipped school to go see that movie (laughs) (laughs) Like, I never did things like that. But I was like, I got to see that movie again. And another buddy and I figured out a way we could do
0: Holy it. Holy cow.
1: Yeah. And we actually skipped school. We got away with it, too.
0: The only bad thing about you choosing Star Wars as the the first subject is this will now be a 14-hour episode <laughs> because and, there's so much to talk about. And we could get flamed so Wars. badly.
1: But I just thought it was an interesting entry point in terms of culture and where we're at and... Like where we come from, right? Like it's it's hard to underestimate how much that movie would have had an impact on
0: us at oh, that yeah. age. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it was it became all consuming. I remember I uh my best friend at the time was Kevin Brown, I haven't seen since we were like fourteen or fifteen. And uh and we were just absolutely passionate about Star Wars. We did a huge project for school together. You know, one of those projects where you draw on bristleboard. you oh, know? Yeah. Remember bristleboard? Oh, yeah. Bristleboard, <laughs> yeah. Know.
1: It still exists.
0: Yeah. It's a thing. Does it? Oh, yeah. Like, well, uh, you're in the educational system. Uh, yeah, I guess you like, would know. Yeah, but I it's, haven't. It's,
1: uh, I teach in a library information science program. And yeah, posters are a thing, man.
0: I haven't touched or even seen, I think, bristleboard <laughs> in 40 years. But I remember drawing this Star Wars montage with Kevin and we had the Death Star and Wookiees and C three PO in this thing and I was so proud of it. And I couldn't wait to hand it in to the teacher. Um it was our grade I guess our grade seven teacher. I do not even remember who it was, maybe Percy McGugan. But um and we handed it in and they were like to nothing. <laughs> you know, like it was, you know, so important to us and so insignificant to Poor Mister McGugan. Poor Mister
1: McGugan probably had to get suffer through thirty Star Wars projects that year.
0: Probably, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I could devote actually an episode to to Percy McGugan because he actually inspired my whole writing career. But that's a whole other.
1: Oh, that's a great story. Yeah. How did that happen?
0: Well, he was he would assign um, you know other projects, and uh, and you'd have the option if you could write a story. And I would always choose to write a story when I wasn't doing Star Wars bristleboard projects. And, um, uh, and I still have like all those stories, you know, sitting upstairs in the closet. And I thought I was such a great writer. Like that's why I always chose writing a story because I'm like, I'm so good at this, you know? And, uh, until I, you know, got them out of the closet a, a few years ago and read them. And I'm like, whoa, I guess that's like a really important component of being a writer is overconfident. (laughs) Yeah,
1: actually thinking that the world needs whatever garbage you're going to throw at it.
0: (laughs) Whatever nonsense and drivel, Yeah, whatever drivel
1: comes out of your head
0: must be important because you're a genius. But he was so encouraging that he promoted, you know, actually, you know what? I hate him looking back. (laughs) Because he took me down this road. You you could have had a normal life. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, it could have been a... An accountant or something. I don't know. Something sensible. Back to Star Wars. So tell me more about what it means to you.
1: Well, I mean, it really is. It does just go back to that whole sense of wonder and and my, be having your mind blown like by something. And I think it was about the same time I, I saw that movie, About the same time I'd kind of gotten through, I think, most of the Edgar Rice Burroughs books. And I think I was on Maiden of Mars or or the moon maidens or whatever one it was and it occurred to me wait a minute this is this is the same story over and over again It's just hmm. changed the names of the characters and the setting it's either the moon or the middle of the earth and i think at the time when i saw star wars it just seemed so different to me from anything else that i'd seen that that was part of why my mind was blown as an 11 year old. I think it was just because it was like, just so original. It was just so original. It was just something that I hadn't seen before. And of course, it wasn't original. It was very, you know, derivative of B movies from the 50s,
0: but derivative in the best possible
1: way. Of course. Way. Yeah. But it was like it was taking the essence of the fun of those movies and distilling it into one movie. Uh, and of course, the other yeah. thing that I, I recognize now but I didn't as an 11-year-old, was the the story structure was so uh, iconic. I mean, it was using that hero's journey that actually is so critical to telling a good story. I mean, it's not the only way you can tell a good story, but it's one of the easiest ways to tell a good story, is to have some kind of hero's journey, which is, of course, what Luke goes on and Leia and even uh, Han Solo, where they all kind of do in their well, own you know.
0: So one of the things that I would like to accomplish in this podcast is, um, you know, is to dig into that kind of thing. So we talk about the hero's journey, but you know, for for those of us, you know, anybody who might be listening who is a creator or is a writer, you know, what is the hero's journey? What does it consist of, and why is it so compelling?
1: Oh, I don't know if I can take you through all fourteen. I think it's fourteen stages, but there's there's basically it's a it's just just eight of them.
0: Just 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 give us eight. Yeah.
1: So there's <laughs> A, I think he's an anthropologist by training Joseph Campbell. I might be, I, right. I, I I'm just talking at the top of my head here. I don't, actually don't have Google open in front of me, which is normally what I would do is check these facts before I said them. But, uh, Joseph Campbell, an anthropologist, I think, um, and he studied mythology and, and what he liked to do is what he figured out to do is to, to look at all of the different strands of Earth's myths and find the commonalities in them. And so at one point, he figured he wrote this very influential book called a Hero with a Thousand Faces. I think it's the title of the book. And basically looks at this idea that there is sort of really common beats in every hero's journey. It doesn't matter if it's Gilgamesh or Odysseus or the trickster from like the raven character from, from uh, North American indigenous storytelling. There's these common themes that happen with all of these heroes. And he sort of distilled that down into this sort of journey that they all go through. And so it's really about the journey is really about being separated from normal life. That's sort of something starts that you are no longer in your regular world. Then you have to make a choice to either embrace the separation from reality or your normal reality to, a more heroic view of the world and engage with this new thing that's happening. And then there's, I think there's a couple steps in there where like, there's a little bit of do I, or don't I, you know, accept that this is my father's lightsaber, you know, like, do I accept that piece of information? There's usually someone like an Obi-Wan Kenobi. There's like someone who is like a a mentor who introduces the hero to their new, to their actual reality. So this is Mm. what you've got to do. And then there's the rest of the story goes from there. And there's moments of, you know, uncertainty. Things look very bad for the hero at some points. Usually the hero gets some allies or helpers along the way. So if you look at Star Wars, it's actually a pretty, it's it's a pretty faithful representation of that journey, you know.
0: And completely effective, you know, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about um, the Matrix, you know, which is another classic Another classic example example example, yeah. And you know, and the thing about it is that, like, you watch—you don't watch The Matrix and go, "Oh, this is so derivative of Star Wars." Oh, this is a scene. This is a hero's journey over again. I'm so tired of it. You don't get tired. No, it's Alice in Wonderland.
1: (laughs) You know, there's Tarzan. I was talking about Grace Burley. There's another one there. I mean, there's all of these. So
0: yeah, it's like, should we all just be like to be successful? Should we just be writing? Variations of the hero's journey in Star Wars, or you know,
1: or... well, that's what I said I said I, I, I think there's other ways to think about telling a story. Like, it doesn't have to be done that way, but there's nothing wrong with going. You know what? I think this is going to be best told through that kind of
0: cycle. Even your latest book is, you know, I don't know if you were conscious of it when you were writing it, but there's <laughs> there's an aspect. There's Star Wars in there. There's Star Wars DNA. There's hero's journey DNA. Oh, you know, because it's, it, it's a guy taken out of his normal reality into this crazy, you know, transdimensional reality, and he's got to save the universe, or he's got to save the multiverse.
1: Yeah, you know? I mean
0: that one is probably the most conscious time I've done
1: that because I've, I've actually in a lot of my other books I've tried to buck this idea of, of using a ah. given a give, given structure. So I've always tried to create new structures, and I think I just got exhausted, and so. I was like, why don't I try writing a story with the hero's journey? And Alpha Max is the first book that I, I pantsed. So I, for, for listeners who don't know what that means, that's like, there's two kinds of writers. There's plotters and there's pantsers, which means you write by the seat of your, from the seat of your pants. Right? Um,
0: and also we should probably warn the listeners that we will be shamelessly plugging our work. Of course. In of course. all of these podcasts. But I, I think so in this case, not-
1: it does apply. Like, cause it's, it was, I was consciously like to the point that I actually had a PDF of campbell's hero's journey so i'm like okay so where am i now so i'm like literally looking at the hero's journey okay i think i need to make like i would sort of sense that the story needed to shift and move forward and i'd be like okay so i've i've done that part of the hero's journey what happens next for max belly of the beast okay so belly of the beast comes from the jonah myth right of course. A low yeah. a low point in the hero's journey. And I'm like, Oh, I know what that is. I know what happens to the belly of the beast. I get that. And so then I would like write that part of the story. So I actually had a structure just that I didn't have to think about what the structure was. I knew what the structure was. I just had to figure out how Max's journey fit onto that structure. And right. I, and I think that gave yeah. the book for me for me writing it anyway, and I I can't speak for readers. But for me writing it, it's just like I kind of like was excited to see what happened next in the story because of the
0: fact that it was – Well, story. it worked. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and, and as someone who's um, read it recently, it had forward momentum and it had, uh, you know, good pacing. So because, it, you know, when it wasn't – you never get the sense that the, the author, you, you know, doesn't know where he's going because it is going someplace, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, no ineffective, uh, use of the, the hero's journey. No, do you think that George Lucas, when he wrote Star Wars, I guess, I guess he did. I guess we know that. Right? I think that he, we know that. Yeah. He was aware of Joseph Campbell. Yeah, I, I think he, yeah.
1: I think he'd read Joseph Campbell and I think he knew that. So I mean, I think that's pretty well known. Lots of other people have talked about that, but, but that's one of the reasons why I thought, oh, Star Wars is actually a pretty important piece of media for the history of, and I think for the history of where we are now too. Look, like if you think about popular culture and what's happened to popular culture in the last, let's say, 40 years, a lot of it kind of starts with Star Wars.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it was yeah right around that time. Star Wars and, and Jaws, Jaws kind of, the of four, you know, yeah. they yeah. Yeah, transformed how movies were made and consumed and, and commercialized and. Yeah, the whole, because it was George Lucas and Star Wars, wasn't it, which really started the whole merchandising trend. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, I mean, part of his deal that was so brilliant is that he got the merchandising rights, because the studios didn't know they were important yet.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh,
1: And I would argue that, I mean, for good or ill, that movie changed the way that the studios dealt with creation of their movies. And I think there, I think we've gone through a period of really cool movies like some of the movies actually I like the most are before Star Wars uh, like there's some really cool movies that were made in the 70s by auteurs like you know by directors who had the power to what stretch. are you thinking of oh I'm thinking of like Taxi Driver and those kinds of movies you know uh, The right. Wild Bunch um, uh, what am
0: I missing Sam Peckinpah Sam Peckinpah
1: yeah. Sam Peckinpah is a maniac but like those are pretty amazing <laughs> movies um And there was lots of movies like that. Peter Bogdanovich was making pretty interesting movies at the time. Like there's all kinds of stuff that was happening Uh because this is really interesting period after the collapse of the Hollywood studios, like this, the traditional Hollywood studios. And then these these auteurs appeared in the 60s and 70s.
0: And it kind of ended so do you think, a, after Star Wars. So you think like Star Wars kind of drove a stake in the heart of those Movies, because I'm thinking of those. I do, actually, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just watched a whole bunch of them as well, actually. Like some old Jack Nicholson, you know, Five oh, yeah. Easy Pieces and, easy you know, writer. that kind of. And, uh, oh, what's the one I'm thinking of? It's Harold and Maude. Uh, oh,
1: that's a great movie. I love that. That's so off the wall. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that director, uh, was it Hal Ashby? I yeah, think? That's, I think that's right. He only He only did like five movies or something, and then he couldn't make any more movies, you know? Well, and uh, but
1: was that his choice or was that something that happened
0: he well he got relegated i guess they they kind of decided that he was a madman and you know he was known for uh, consuming recreational pharmaceuticals <laughs> and that you know had long hair and yeah. they kind of looked down his but now i'm wondering if i'd have to go back and look at the timing of it but it, if if star wars you know helped kill his you know, i'm career. sure i'm
1: sure it did the other one that just popped into my head was uh, robert altman like M.A.S.H you know those kinds of movies that
0: Yes although he did keep making some successful movies he did. past Star Wars Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean like Gosford Park which was made in the early 2000s was great so he's yeah so his career wasn't spiked by by Star Wars but but I think a lot of them it was and I think what happened was that they the power they had as auteurs was taken away because suddenly the studios said, well wait a minute we can make like a lot more money a lot by not letting the, the the director have complete control
0: well and here's here's another kind of related phenomena so just the other day I watched The Green Knight I don't know if you know that movie I did yeah Hero's Journey have you seen that movie oh yeah
1: Hero's Journey there too yes
0: right. yeah Hero's Journey now I didn't read any reviews you know on IMDB or anything before I watched it I, I think I'd seen one review in the paper which said this is an interesting movie mm-hmm. and it sounded up my alley so I checked it out And I I realized instantly, like within the first five minutes, that this was not a conventional Hollywood movie. And I I just kind of was in the right mood. And I just kind of settled into the atmosphere of it. And I'm like, wow, this is so unique. It's not like anything that I've seen recently. And I love that in movies. You know, like Fury Road is another movie that doesn't look anything like – it's a completely different look. And I love that. It's like, let's get away from – let's get something different. And and I'm watching The Green Knight and I'm like – I don't have a clue what's going on. I don't understand <laughs> what this is supposed to mean or anything, but I love it. And then he sees like these giants, you know, in the distance. And I'm like, wow, what a great image, you know, and that's so Arthurian. And I have no idea what it means, but I love it. And and then I went back after I saw the movie. I'm just curious to see what people are saying about it because it's such a unique, compelling movie. And it's all like one star reviews and two, you know, Uh one out of 10, two out of 10. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And you're surprised to hear that. It was also a beautiful movie. Like
1: the cinematography was really amazing in the art production.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. But it was all subtext. The entire movie was like subtext and nothing was obvious and overt. But you and then you take a movie to bring it back to Star Wars. There might be some subtext in Star Wars. But it's mostly right out there for you to see, and it it just seems to me that there's a a lot of the audience these days they don't want to do the work, yeah, like what Umberto Eco, the writer once said there's nothing wrong with asking the reader or the audience to have to do a little bit of work, and you watch a movie like The Green Knight, you got to do a lot of thinking there, what that, and maybe even some research into the original <laughs> myth well, you know that was the
1: thing. i was i was trying I was trying to map what I was watching onto. Like I remember reading the poem in my first year English class and I'm going like, this doesn't seem to have much to do with the, the poem. Cause if I remember correctly, the poem was like about the clash of the old religion with the new religion, right? Like that's, that's sort of what it represented from what I remember. I mean, I could be totally wrong. <laughs> <It's a long laughs> yeah. Time ago.
0: yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, and, I, but I was the same as you. I was like, I don't really understand what's going on here.
0: Yeah. And I, I thought, you know, I could, I could watch this again, you know, and maybe understand more each time I watch it. It rewards repeated viewings. Mm -hmm. I do think that it's a little bit of a fault in the part of the filmmaker. And I apologize. I can't remember his name because I've, I've worked with people as, as a story editor, I've worked with people writing scripts and I've often seen it where it's all subtext and And I'm like, you got to make it a little bit more obvious, you know, to give the audience something to hang off of. That is true. And I think he went a little too far down the subtext road in that movie.
1: I think that's true. I think you you can be too clever by half.
0: Yes. Yeah. But I do think there's a place for Star Wars and the Green Knight in our- Yeah.
1: yeah. And I don't want to be just totally mean to Star Wars and say it's just surface level because it's, like I said, it taps into that sort of mythic. Storytelling that we all love. Like, we, the reason that Campbell, you know, hit upon that is I think because it's like, yeah, it's baked into our DNA. We like telling stories. Uh, we're the storytelling species, right? So I think there's something to the idea that there's like an underlying baked in DNA story framework that we kind of just like.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Although it does change probably and evolve. And uh but obviously I mean you brought up Star Wars because you're a big fan. You were a big fan. Are you still this big a fan now?
1: No. I mean that's the worst part is that I like oh. everything has happened. Well, not everything cuz I I think I I really really liked the second one. Uh Empire Strikes Back, right? I really like that one. Yes.
0: Which is my favorite. Yeah. I
1: think that's my favorite of all of them. And then I even I even enjoyed the uh the third one with the Ewoks. Which oh you
0: know, yeah, Return you know, of the Jedi yeah yeah yeah. Um,
1: yeah side note: uh, At one point, my nickname was Ewok from Hell, like <laughs> <My> Queens. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, so so I'm a little a little bit like, well, if they hadn't existed already, then I wouldn't be called an Ewok from Hell. But anyway, so yeah, I think I think uh, what's happened to the stories since then has kind of gotten muddied, and so yeah, I don't really, I'm not a big fan. And I've, and I think we've talked about this before. I mean, obviously not on this podcast because this is the first episode, <laughs> but you and I have talked yeah. about this comparing this to Star Trek. Um, yes. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm kind of with David Brin on, on like which one's better. Like, I do actually think Star Trek in some ways is better in the sense that it's a better thing to aspire to rather than kind of a medieval backwards culture that exists in star wars like the culture is pretty horrible
0: yeah and i think my thinking in that has evolved because um i'm careful of uh dichotomies and, yes i agree you know does that, it yeah. does it have to be you know that you know it's like you know, star wars and the green knight star wars and star trek the, the universe is big enough for
1: oh of course everything for yeah.
0: both of them but I take your point. You know, when I watch the uh, you know, the JJ Abrams Star Wars and I'm I'm not a fan of them. You know, and and to me like the most damning thing I could say about them was Sorry, I'm talking about his Star Trek movies. Oh, sorry. Okay. And I couldn't I couldn't and I'm like really both. we got to give both Star Trek and <laughs> Star Wars to JJ Abrams? Like can't we like share that a little bit? But his his Star his Star Trek movies because I'm I'm such a huge Star Trek fan. I'm like, well, you know, as a Star Trek movie, that was a great Star Wars movie. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. which is not a compliment. But I do love Star Wars. And you know, and I thought, and this is this is where we're gonna get into controversial territory. The second of the the last trilogy of, of Star Wars movie, uh what's his name? Johnson, the director, Ryan Johnson. I thought that was going back in the right direction. I like that one. Can you remind but me? But a lot which of fans hated was? it.
1: Because <laughs> I, I, I've only the seen one, the last few once, so, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. That's the one where uh, Luke Skywalker's on his own island, and there's that scene uh, where he's running around the island milking, milking. alien cows and stuff. and
1: <laughs> Which was pretty yeah. disturbing, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> the giant bird ladies.
0: <laughs> yes. But I more or less enjoyed that one. I thought it was getting back to the flavor, and it was – he did some interesting things with it.
1: Yeah, that was actually, I think that that was the one that I liked the most too. Yeah, was that one of the new yeah,
0: ones. But a lot of fans hated it because they felt it went against Luke's character, which brings up a whole other subject. See, this is why I said when you brought up Star Wars, we're we're going to be talking about this for fourteen hours because there's so many. <laughs>
1: well, that's that's why I thought it was a good starting point, right? It's like, well, there's no chance we're not going to have lots to talk about when we talk about Star Wars. <laughs> yes, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> no, you you hit that one out of the park completely. But the audience thinking that they have the right to say what characters should do in their favorite stories. Yeah, that's... isn't it the author that should have the? <laughs>
1: well, it's so weird because I. I don't actually admit this publicly but I uh my favorite social media is Tumblr.
0: Oh, I I don't I I have no familiarity with so, Tumblr, Tumblr is, at all.
1: So it's like this little tiny corner of the internet that kind of the land that time forgot almost in the sense that it's kind of like old school media like almost pre-social media. But what's interesting for me is that it's mostly young people that use it. So and I kind of like it's kind of my little window into the minds of the 18-year-olds that I'm teaching in my my second year class cuz I I I need to somehow connect with them right? And so I can see what they're talking about or what the common tropes are, what the sort of discussion is, the discourses they say is about. And there does seem to be this idea that fandoms have rights, you know, that they have control in a sense or should have some control over what happens to the characters. There's an ownership there, which I don't think is entirely bad because I do think as a writer, you have to recognize that your job kind of ends once you, you hit the end and the things in the world. Like it's, it's kind of no longer yours once you've sent it into the world, especially I think novels and, and prose because so much of what happens happens in the reader's mind and I can't control
0: that. Completely agree with that.
1: But getting upset. Like for one of the things I'm seeing right now in Tumblr as as part of the discourse, and again, this is controversial territory because, yeah, this is something that young people especially really passionately care about. The idea that a character would say something or do something that's upsetting to them is a big problem that seems to be coming up. It's like, well, I don't think they should say that or he should say that or they should say that because that's not what I believe that character is and and that's like okay so that's that's a really difficult thing to to bring to a piece of artwork to bring everything that you believe and try to impose that on on the characters is really well and what does that do
0: to the creator
1: well it doesn't i don't think it does anything to the creator to be honest like because like i said we're
0: done well i mean sure we're done with that first one but if we dive into that universe again if you do a sequel to alpha max And, like, say there was a huge, you were aware of a huge Finn reaction. Is that going to cripple you or hobble you writing the next one?
1: Yeah, that's actually a great question. That's, I've, I've, I've been writing some trilogies. I've got two on the go. So I will have that experience maybe once I get them published. But part of the reason I'm writing the trilogy, writing them before I release them is so that I don't get influenced that way. Ah. So I hmm, first cover. of all, it's mostly because I need to know what the story arc is. They're, they're connected trilogies at this point. So I want to know what the story arc is before I do my second edits. but but partially it's that's in my head now as I'm reading Tumblr, I'm going, wow, I think I mean I think I do actually think that my book will connect with the younger audience uh, because it's the second series especially. but I am worried about like, okay, so she makes some difficult choices. In this book, and I don't think that people are going to necessarily agree with her choices all along the way.
0: Have you read Thomas Covenant?
1: Oh, yeah, I love those books.
0: Me too, yeah, huge fan. And the choice that Thomas Covenant makes a third of the way into the first one,
1: yeah, you it's, probably recall. I do, and it's uh, I, I don't see, I don't know that <sighs> I think it'd be really hard to get that book published now because of that.
0: I think it'd be, yeah, impossible. With that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So well, the listeners will have to read the book to know what we're talking about because we're not going to obviously spoil it for them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think you could get that book published now.
0: I guess we can say, you know, the main character does something quite reprehensible. Yes. And he's the main character in the whole trilogy. And well, actually, I think there's like nine (laughs) nine books now. Oh, really? I
1: read the the second trilogy. The second trilogy just impressed the hell out of me.
0: Yeah, it's really the first trilogy that people need to read, and then yeah. if you're a die-hard fan, then you yeah. could, you know, there's some diminishing but, returns. But he's sort of uh, a classic
1: anti-hero, right?
0: Yes, which is a whole other avenue of discussion. But um, but I almost stopped reading after he did the reprehensible act. I almost couldn't get any further, but and somehow got past it and continued, and then realized that I actually loved the whole character in the book, and and then I reread them many, many, many years later as an adult and wondered how that scene would bounce off me and completely got it, you know? I, I understood what the author was doing. But yeah, he couldn't write that and be second-guessing the readership.
1: No, I, I think that's probably one of the things that's that's changed right now in terms of how audiences interact with a, with a, with a piece of artwork is that they do feel more entitled. I think there's no question of that. And maybe that's a good thing in some ways, but for the creator, I think it's difficult.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to revisit a question that I asked you a, a while ago when I asked if you were still a fan of Star Wars. What about the first movie? Are you still a fan of the first movie?
1: I am. I mean, it doesn't hold up as much as I thought it did. I rewatched it, not recently, but like probably within the last couple, like during the pandemic at some point, I needed some something to make me feel Happy, and I thought, "Oh'll watch Star Wars and i mean I, I I mean I saw it so many times when I was a kid, I still knew it beat for beat, basically, <laughs> like there's no surprises at all, but yeah, I still kind of love the movie. I still loved the characters. I really enjoyed Luke's character, especially in that movie, and the second movie when he starts to come in, like when he starts to accept that he's got these powers and starts to engage with training. And then of course he makes a terrible mistake and stops his training before he's ready. I love though that the arc of those first two so much. And then of course in the third yeah. one, he's you know a full-fledged Jedi and he's he's come into his own power completely, which is nice yeah. to see. But it was the first two parts that are kind of the most interesting parts to me. Just like the the engaging with what's the force? <laughs> and that <laughs> that concept actually really blew my mind when I was a kid and it actually kind of set me down a pathway. I, I recognize now that, that I don't know that I would have gone down if I hadn't seen that movie and taken it the way that I had. I got really interested in Buddhism probably about, it was probably about five years later. huh? And I think that was because of not because of, but certainly star Wars kind of made me open to that idea of, the connect interconnection of things and the idea of the force being this thing that we're all part of which is kind of a buddhist idea really like well actually just the illusion that we're, we're part of everything but but yeah like huh. that, that kind of sent me down a pathway of mystical thinking that i kind of really got a lot out of so from that perspective too the movie for me was was important plus lightsabers i mean they're just really cool
0: Oh, yeah. 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 It does. Interesting question, though, if something like Star Wars, the movie, you know, hadn't existed or been made, you know, would would we feel like a gap? And did it add something to culture in our lives that kind of like in a, in a, in a wonderful life sense, if it hadn't existed, how would the world be different?
1: Well, I mean, it would exist. We could probably figure it out. Right? Because that's what now, we ha- do.
0: <laughs> that's true. You know, we Have you read uh, Ken Grimwood
1: uh, Replay? No. No.
0: So this is one of my all-time favorite books, Ken Grimwood uh, Replay. The time um, travel book? Kind of, yes. It's, uh, he relives his life over and over again. Oh, okay. And in some of the realities that he, that he relives, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg did not do their thing. <laughs> right, yeah. So, and he, so he like amasses some, enough of a fortune in one of his realities to hire them to make a movie. <laughs> and <laughs> and so they make this like uh, Steven Spielberg Lucas hybrid that does not exist in our reality, but that blows everybody in that reality away. That's and, awesome. Uh, and then, yeah. And then there's another character who's like, okay, how did this guy know to put them together and it turns out she's from the original reality as well, kind of. And so then they kind of – but anyway, yeah. it's that's, I reread have, that book every couple of have years. Have
1: you seen Yesterday?
0: Yes. Because
1: that's basically the plot of Yesterday, right? It's about a guy who gets knocked on his butt and he wakes up in a world where the Beatles never existed. Yeah, he's a musician. Yeah. I
0: loved it, yeah. I love that
1: movie. And there's like two other people in the world that had the same thing happen to them and and they – Yeah. I love that concept, that idea, like what happens when something like this or, are... and it just, it just brings so much joy to the world that, that he then recreates the songs and.
0: Well, and you are, you know, Mr. Metaverse. So that whole concept of these metaverses, you know, where different realities have different features.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite possible, that all of these things exist. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Possible, maybe stretching it, but I think in terms of theoretical physics, it's not it's not an, an unreal possibility. It's not hmm. categorically impossible. But yeah, that yeah that was that part of writing Alphamax was so hard. <laughs> just like my brain just got hurt sometimes. Like I'm thinking about infinity in a real way. It's it's actually impossible to do right because we're just humans. We can't. We don't have the capacity to actually understand what infinity is,
0: but it's so fun to try to go there. It is, you know? yeah. And that was, and you're going to think I'm just praising it you because you're my co-host, which is not the, the the case. It it like something that I really appreciated about Alpha Max was the marriage of the humor with the deep ideas and the philosophical thoughts.
1: Oh, that's what I liked about your book too. Yeah. Well, good. There's lots of goo in it. (laughs) I don't know if you realize how much goo there was in your book.
0: (laughs) I I may have to go back and and revisit that.
1: Oh, that's really gross, Joe. That's really gross. Oh my God, that's gross. Yeah, but uh, same thing. I mean, I I really liked the idea. Like it it was a really smart time travel book. Like you played with the idea of time travel and the philosophical implications of it. Really well, and it was still fun. It was interesting and fun.
0: Well, good. I keep waiting for somebody to to come up with like something that was wrong. You got this completely wrong in it. You know that was really stupid. It's uh, (laughs) like something that the the author uh, David Gerald of uh, Star Trek Tribbles fame once said. He said, "I'm so afraid of embarrassing myself in print in public."
1: Yes, yeah, that's a that's a real thing. One of the one of the books that I've abandoned is is a book that includes near relativistic travel, interstellar travel and I ended up working with a physicist because I'm like I don't want to get this wrong <laughs> and again yeah. it's like really pushed my ability to think to kind of its maximum like okay so let me figure this out if I'm going to <laughs> a century at near the speed of light and then I come back how much time has passed? what? <laughs> Yeah, it, it it got and then I started, of course, taking people farther away and bringing them back, and it was like, wow. So it's you know, Holman deals with it really well in the Forever War, I think. But
0: oh yeah, it's so well, yeah. yeah for sure. Somebody actually did uh, write a review of A Time and a Place where they accused me of having got something wrong, and uh, they're like, it's inconsistent. It's you know, this is wrong, you know. And I went back and double checked, and I'm like, no, no, it's not wrong. I don't you know? think so. But you I know think- that thing. But you can't, like, respond to a review. You have to wait until you, like, launch a podcast several years later and then mention it. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: right. And not by name. Don't. Yeah. No, that was.
0: That's right. That was
1: advice my first editor gave me. It was like, don't respond to reviews. Just ignore them as much as you can. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's the only one that I had trouble not responding to because I'm like no you're you're putting it out there in print that I got something wrong and and I would if I did I would admit it but it's not wrong. The <laughs> reviews know?
1: that I really really want to respond to are the ones that say basically, well this was a science fiction book and I don't like science fiction so it's a one star review. Ooh. And I'm like what? Well, but but why did you read the book? It's clearly labeled science fiction. If you don't enjoy it, why would you read it? I don't get it.
0: God, well, I've got some that start – I don't normally read this kind of book or I don't normally read science fiction. Yeah. But, you know, th- these are relatives and good friends in some cases mm. that are saying that. But its it you're always doing a bit of a facepalm when you read that, you know, because it's like <laughs>
1: – yeah. Well, one of the, one of the gurus that I, the sort of self-publishing gurus I follow, actually, he's got advice about that. He says, don't get your friends and, um, relatives to read your books and review your books because yeah. they're not your audience. They are fundamentally yeah. not, if they don't read those kinds of, it's different, of course, if your friends, I mean, obviously I'm your friend and I read your book because I read that kind of <laughs> book, but yeah, like that's okay. And likewise. Um, so like, but if it, yeah, don't ask don't ask friends and relatives to re- read and review your books if they don't really read that kind of stuff because they're not your audience and they're not necessarily going to like the book or understand the book. Here's the real key: on Amazon, you don't want they're also bots. So the other things that they liked and they bought to start intermingling in the algorithm, right? Because
0: oh, you know, wow. For
1: example, my father who does not read science fiction. In fact. Run screaming! In fact, we had an argument yesterday about he was telling me about this show. He thought it was called Black Mirror or something like that. And I said, "Oh yeah, that's that's a science fiction show." I'm surprised you watched that. Oh no, no it wasn't science fiction.
0: <laughs> because if it's science fiction, because you'd have to admit that he fiction, likes he it.
1: Doesn't like it, yeah. But so he reads lots of mysteries, and and I, you know, there I don't personally read them, but and they're not my thing. But that's fine. They don't have to be. Uh, so yeah, there's yeah. no point in having him read my book because he's first of all not going to like it because it's science fiction. But also, what he likes is a different set of things. So if I'm looking for more people to find my book on Amazon, it's, they don't overlap, and there's actually they do the opposite of helping you; they actually hurt you. Well wow. that's,
0: that's his, I never thought of that.
1: I know me either. It's Derek Mur uh, Derek Murphy. His name is yeah, yeah. And I, I thought, oh, that's actually really smart. Okay. I'll stop doing that.
0: Oh, there's yeah, we we could do a whole podcast on marketing and selling books and the thing cuz there's so many tricks and techniques and that I will never master and
1: oh, no. No. <laughs> there's only like, there's yeah. there's only so much time and there's only so many things you can do well. That's why like people taking the process seriously and hiring editors and hiring cover designers etc is the way to go, I think, because yeah these are skills that are quite specialized, and not everybody has them.
0: yep, completely agree. Any final thoughts on our subject of the day, Star Wars? Uh, not really,
1: no, I was just I just literally took you out your words like here's a launching point for a conversation, as I said, as an eleven year old I love the movie. I still have a fondness for the first trilogy. I'll be honest, the rest of them don't do much for me, though I really did like there's that one scene in Star Wars. I don't think this is a spoiler, right? Everyone's seen the last trilogy where he remember he <laughs> he fights off the all the all the the robots or whatever they are at the end of I right. think it's the last one, The Rise of Skywalker, right?
0: I think where so, yeah. Like,
1: but where he's just a force projection?
0: Yes, yes, I that, that was scene, yeah.
1: So cool and that was actually kind of like, okay, so wait a minute. He's now superseded Yoda. He can do things yes. that Yoda could never do. He's
0: And you know what? That was the Ryan Johnson. That was the second one. It wasn't the last one. Okay. That was That was the second yeah. one.
1: Okay, so that was the one that I liked. And I and that for me was kind yep. of such a cool moment. And that was like, yes, that's the promise of Luke Skywalker. He's doing yes. the right thing for justice and the universe and he's using his power with the force to do it. It's just his power with the force, right? He's just his projecting himself like from another planet, right? He's yeah, yeah, that was awesome. That was so for me. Like, like that was kind of like that was like the nice bow on the first trilogy. That moment when that happened,
0: completely. And there was that moment where he wipes the dust off his shoulder.
1: Yes, yes, yes. It's that real. I can make it. I have this much power, bitch.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. None of that touched me. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So I just wanted to say for people listening that um so that that's the concept is that we will invite a guest. Somebody in the podcast will come with uh, a piece of art that they want to talk about, whether it's a film or a book or or the Mona lisa a uh, painting or whatever. The Mona Lisa. Yeah. And then we'll just go where the conversation takes us and hopefully everybody will be entertained and maybe learn something. So that's the idea.
1: Oh God, learning something. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well we have, but we have no uh, pressure to teach anybody anything okay this it. as long it as may happen yeah, accidentally okay, nice. okay good yeah the next episode will be me i will bring something to the table okay and we'll which hopefully will spark a conversation and then the one after that uh we'll start having special guests so
1: excellent I think this is going to be fun. Thank
0: you for agreeing to do this podcast with me, Mark.
1: Oh, I, thanks. Thanks for suggesting it. I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to be doing this for 30 years.
0: All right. See you
1: later. <laughs> okay. Take care.
0: listening to Recreative, hosted by Joe Mahoney and Mark Rayner, a podcast about creativity. Talking to creative people from every walk of life about the art that inspires them. And you're probably wondering, how can I support this podcast?
1: I am wondering, Joe, how can I support this podcast? I mean, apart from being on it.
0: There's no advertisements in this podcast. There's no tip jars. There's nothing about like buying us a coffee or anything like that. But there is a way that you can support us. And what is that? They could buy our books. And how do they find us? recreative.ca. Don't
1: forget the hyphen. There's a hyphen in there. re-creative. I took your line, sorry.
0: Well, because I stole your line. <laughs> so yes, re-creative.ca. Jenks. Oh yeah, you that I stole your line again. <laughs> As well, if you like what you've just heard, you could consider subscribing to the podcast and leave a comment if you like it. Thanks for listening. Spread the word.